Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Well, my name is Raul Figueroa. I'm a pastor here at Grace Harvest Church, and Pastor Doug has been taking us through a journey uh, the last several weeks. New year, it's an easy topic, changing. I can't believe we're three weeks into the new year already. Come on, somebody. I was thinking about that and just going with, with his thought in that. Title today, New Year, New Clothes, Put on Christ. And so if you've got a Bible or a digital device, if you could open up to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. And just uh, if you don't have a Bible, if you've got a U version or a cell phone or a tablet, you can open up there, Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 17. And just put a placeholder there. Pause there. New year, new clothes, put on Christ. I'm really not talking about the clothes you wore to church this morning. Although, I'm thankful that you all came fully dressed. I want to talk to you about the scriptures reference to clothes before Christ as in old clothes or old man, old ways, old thinking, old patterns of behavior. New year, new clothes put on Christ. I want to read a couple verses to you, Romans chapter 13, verse 14, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ in a different translation, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Galatians 3, 27. The Apostle Paul over and over and over in several books referenced this terminology and encouraged the believers, hey, there's new clothing you need to wear. And his name is Jesus. moments like that, I have to recite this little song that I've sung to my kids as they've been growing up. Be patient, be patient, don't be in such a hurry, for when you're impatient, you only start to worry. Makes it a little tough when person in charge of risk management is also preaching. So. Okay, here we go. Here we go. All right, here we go. Come on, come on. All right. So I do want to talk to you about clothes this morning. Clothes are important. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to labor this point a little bit because this is the point that the Apostle Paul is driving. Every one of us has spent time thinking about what we wanted to wear. Even this morning, the second time I woke up, first time was too early to 
even consider what I was going to wear. The second time that I woke up, though, I thought, what should I wear this morning? You know, I was thinking about clothing. I was thinking about myself and thinking, I have never really valued clothes in the way that some people around me have valued clothes. Or I would say a look or an impression. And I esteem that. And I esteem being around people who look good. Come on, somebody, right? But, but there's something in me that just seems to fall short in that valuation. I have a couple categories when I think about, when I think about clothing. Number one, and this is first and foremost, does it fit? And number two, how does it hang on me? Those two things that I can probably try to adapt anything that I would wear to the function. I've tried. I've tried showing up to church here on Sunday mornings with flip-flops and shorts and a Hawaiian shirt, and I was told after a while that doesn't work. <laughs> I've tried. I've thought about the idea of, of, of clothing and about what, what that means and, and what kind of things we can project and, and what people use to make determinations on what they see people wearing. Sure. First impressions are really important, right? Yeah. Come on. Come on. Well... Here we are. The Apostle Paul knew this too. He, he regularly in his letters found that this allegory, that this, uh, this word picture was, was so important and an encouragement to people that he was reminding them of the importance. Put on Christ. Yeah, on. As though it's a piece of clothing. As though it's something to put on. And that means then something needs removed. And so, so even in this scripture and in this text. Well, I'm going to walk you through a little journey just to show you that God has always been concerned about the clothes that you wear. He's been concerned. We're going to rewind here to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21. And this is after Adam and Eve had rebelled against God and had sinned. And scripture says that as soon as that happened, as soon as they rebelled and they were aware that they were what? Naked. It says they were, they were naked and they were, they were ashamed. And so because of that, they, they took leaves and they covered themselves. And so scripture says that upon the exchange of where are you? What's going on? What happened? Why are you hiding? We were naked and we were ashamed. Who told you you were naked? Scripture says that God then set about task. And it said, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. This text is really deep and there's so much there to unpack about the, the idea that God, the first sacrifice was right there after the first sin. It was God the initiator, God the one that provided, God the one that made a way, and he is the one that clothed them. Well, so right from the start, the Bible teaches that coverings with which we try to cover ourselves with don't stand up and fall short of what God requires and simply will not do. When man sins and hides, God comes looking for him. Not in anger, but in love. In love, he tells them, hey, get rid of those fig leaves. I got something better for you. My sacrifice and covering is the covering you need. Clothing. Every once in a while, 
the subject of old clothes comes up in our house and it prompts a going through the closet or the things hanging. I don't know if our situation is similar to yours, but there is something inside of me that is a difficult time getting rid of old clothes. I may, I may look at that piece of clothing and think, gosh, that sure does fit well. Or, man, I look good in that. Or, or man, do I, I, got, I need several of those. Come on. It takes a difficult time. My wife, though, is patient and kind and responds graciously to me. <clears throat> it takes me a while to get clothes in the right. And then reality sets in. When's the last time you actually wore that shirt? When's the last time you actually wore those pants? And then the ultimate question, do you actually fit those clothes? And will you ever fit those clothes again? I have accepted and come to the conclusion that I probably will never be 10 years ago. And that's okay in the moment. It's okay. But still, it didn't make it any easier to take it off the hanger and put it in the pile outside the cabinet or the closet on its way to a secondhand store. Old clothes, especially when they fit just, and they're comfortable and they're just right. And they, you know what I'm talking about. It's that, it's that outfit that when you walk through the front door, we don't have any plants tonight. No one's coming over, yeah. nothing on the agenda. Make a beeline to the bedroom and it's basketball shorts and tank or something, right? It's like, you know. Or it's when the work needs to happen. You just got those, those clothes that you put on. It doesn't matter if you're rolling around the dirt, sawdust, if they get ripped or torn. These are the clothes I'm wearing. This is it. And it's just painful to take this trusty set of conformed and, and comfortable clothes that I know so well. I know how they're going to stretch and work. I know just how far I can bend or squat before. I just know, right? This is the, right? Before I actually have to, except socks. Socks. Once they get a hole, they're off. So, so here's, here's the thing. The apostle Paul knew. He knew that we as people are comfortable and can get comfortable in a certain pattern of living. He knew that, that who we were before Christ, if not challenged, instructed, taught, accepted, yielded, repented, converted in the mind and heart, that we would continue in a pattern that was not the pattern of the way or of the new clothes. In fact, he, he, he writes about, um, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desire to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, when God recreates a person in Jesus Christ, there's something new. There's something different. And if you are a new creature described earlier in the text of Ephesians that we're going to read, he says to get rid of those old worn out clothes you wore in your former life. He writes later and tells us exactly what that is. He tells us, 
So Genesis, er, Galatians 3.27 says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You made a decision. You made a decision to put on a new set of clothing. You represent the king. Now, so wear something presentable. Things that reflect true righteousness and holiness. I want to read the text in Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. It says, Now I say, say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. I love that part of the text. Assuming you heard or we even taught about Jesus, as in the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one speak. Each of you speak the truth, which is neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Wow. I think if the Apostle Paul were to preach this text, there would be a little bit of an intensity in it. Or maybe a soft appeal. People, if you've heard about Jesus and the life in him, live this way. Maybe it's more along that, in that we have a scripture that says the Apostle Paul preached, and as he preached, people fell asleep, and one even fell out the window and died, and he had to pray for him and raise him again. So maybe. But, but here's the thing. The believers in Paul's day in Ephesus found it difficult to live differently from the unbelievers surrounding them. They were constantly subject to the vile habits and deeds of the pagans around them. We have a very similar situation today. Our problem isn't getting people in the world to live like Christians, but getting Christians to stop living like the world. What the church in Ephesus had to contend with is Ephesus was one of the most wicked places you could find on the face of the earth at the time. These young Christians had to live in the midst of all that was going on. It served as a religious center with multiple temples and idols. The worship in Ephesus focused particularly on the goddess of Diana, Artemis, often represented by incredibly grotesque statues. The temple to Diana was originally one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. I mean, the physical handiwork and construction and the worship to their gods rivaled, rivaled many. 
I mean, we're talking temples 300 feet long, 150 feet wide, columns by the hundreds, open, open, open on sides, and right to the stairwell and right up it were, were lined with eunuchs and priestesses and temple prostitutes and singers and dancers, and, and they led people in their worship, which was nothing more than a great orgy. Silversmiths made fortunes selling trinkets all around. And right here in the midst of all of this, a new thing was happening. People's lives were getting radically altered by the message of the grace of God. And then contending with the idea of how to live side by side with the people they once practiced all of these things with. Come on. It's not lost on us that our culture is a little bit different than that. Be like walking across the street to a big pavilion and in the midst of that, right as we're trying to worship, all of the revelry is going on. To have all of these experiences in history and then right in the middle, the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, you've been called to a new thing. His name is Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. When you got baptized, you were raised in newness of life and you put Christ on. And he was reminding them of this truth and this thought. And so, what did he say? He talks about, through all the epistles, the Apostle Paul talks about a new will, a new mind, a new heart, a new power, a new knowledge, a new wisdom, a new perception, a new understanding, a new life, a new inheritance, a new relationship, a new righteousness, a new love, a new desire, and a new citizenship. He was fixated on the idea that people would conform to the image of Christ and be fashioned. I remember years ago, I took a trip with Stephen Sherman to Portland. I think Raymond Mesa was on that trip too. We were going to check out a new conference called GU. We'd never been to. Us three, we would go check it out. In the midst of that, I had the opportunity to go shopping with Stephen, who has an eye for fashion. And for the first time probably in my life, I came away from this trip to to Portland I had a couple new pairs of shoes, some new pants, some new clothing, and some accessories. <laughs> I felt styled. And I wore those clothes in different combinations. I would show up, and, and Stephen would look at me, show up to you, and be like, oh, that looks good. And I would try something. He was like, ah, did you bring something else? And I don't know about that. And I wore those clothes till I had holes in the knees, until they didn't quite fit right. And I was, if you know the history of my life, but the progression of sizing until I was walking like this. Hey, hey guys, just so the buttons wouldn't pop. But, but, but right in the midst of that, for, for a fleeting moment, however long that was, I understood like, wow. And so this morning as I tried on shirts and realized, well, that doesn't hang right. That's really staticky. I'm trying to care about what I look like. This is what you get. <laughs> Knowing I'm talking about clothing. And so, so here it is. Let's take a look at what the Apostle Paul illustrated symbolically of what would be old clothes. Well, he says, exchange futile thinking for a renewed mind. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. You see, the word futility to describe worldly thinking, it means that which is empty, 
futile, useless, vain. Useless is the best word for it. The old way of thinking is, is, is futile. It's, it's useless. We must be encouraged to be a people that thinks differently. That there's no maturity without thinking differently. If you got saved and you today, as you progress in your Christian journey, think the same as in the days previous to Christ, you have not matured. Maturity is the essence and the work that causes you to evaluate things on a different level with different perspective and different understanding and then compute it. And then the, the results are going to be that which is considered more mature or different. Well, how does that apply? Well, as Christians, we would mature and we think differently about the sin that we used to think of, we used to do in light of what God says about it. Think about this. Before I met Christ, even in the journey, maybe you grew up in the church and you haven't yet realized the implications and the consequence of sin. Maybe your, maybe your understanding and your talk about sin was with joy or happiness or light remembrance or a coddling of something that's there. And so some people, maybe it's even just an entertainment and an imagination, or maybe it's a hiding. You see, a life in Christ will cause you to have to mature in your understanding of what sin is and its effect on your relationship with God and your life. Paul is saying, no longer think like the unsaved think. It goes nowhere. It accomplishes nothing in the spiritual life. Solomon, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, Pastor Doug talked about it for just a minute, said, everything is vanity. He closes the second chapter of the book. Everything is vanity and vexation of spirit. Nothing means anything to me. This was a man who had everything probably one of the wealthiest people who ever walked this earth, consumption and desire, fulfillment of everything that he wanted, and at the end of his days lays out what it led to and the futility of thinking and the drawing away from God. Lays it out for you. So the Apostle Paul comes against that to say, hey, in the futileness of mind, here are some qualities of that ignorance. Now, this is one, you're not going to be able to walk the streets and tell people they are ignorant in the ways of God or spiritual things. But, but, contrast that against yourself. Whoa, am I, am I, am I properly thinking this through here? Am, am, I, am I being able to jump into the text or listen to the message? And, and am I weighing it across and really giving it its due thought and then the application? And, and then as I am engaging with others, I am able to give an answer for the hope that lies within. Come on, somebody. And then he lays out hardness of heart. It's a lack of sensitivity. That's the way some of the scriptures translate. Having lost all sensitivity, an insensitive mind is one that is becoming unresponsive to what they hear and what they see and the people around them. It's all clogged up, a mind that's all clogged up with worldly preoccupations and thoughts. Indulgence giving themselves over for the practice of every kind of impurity. Th think about this. I know, I know as we're talking, you're thinking, well, these aren't Christian 
attributes or clothes. That's precisely the point. The Apostle Paul is saying that you are a new creation. Those old clothes, they don't fit you anymore. They don't look good on you. They weren't made for you in the now. You are a new creation. Old things have passed away. The old self, that old pair of shoes, it doesn't fit anymore. It's time to get that new pair, and his name is Jesus. So, have this same attitude, which was Christ Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul then jumped in, jumps into a list of exchanges. He says, exchange lying for truthfulness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Exchange lying for speaking of truth. When you become a believer, you step out of the domain of lies and into the domain of truth. You were called to be a person who is a truth teller, one who conveys the right perspective and the right thing all the time. Come on. Come on, like the Apostle Paul is saying, that sneaky way, that outright lying, that, that, you know, we got names for levels of lies, right? And so, so, you know, that no longer, we must be a people who are truth tellers. Lying has to go. Exchange uncontrolled anger for the peace of Christ. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Boy, I used to read this text and it would get me all wrapped up. I had some late nights trying to figure out how not to go to bed angry when I was angry. Am I the only one? And then something happened as I began to realize, whoa, okay, anger is a God-given emotion. God wired up in ways that we could get angry and sometimes angry is... Being angry is the most appropriate emotion. I mean, we're not, we're human beings. We're not vegetables. But because God wired us up to get angry, it has its proper place. And many times the appropriate expression and the way that we let it out, if it leads to injury or the hurting of relationships or the offense with people, we probably have dealt with it the wrong way. And the Apostle Paul is writing to say, hey, I'm letting you know there's a new way to deal with this here. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Don't let bitterness be able to take root in unforgiveness. And, and as you think about it, uh, Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool gives vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. I remember one time in dealing um, just going through a rough patch. I was sitting at the kitchen table and I'm not usually prone to this and we were at and my wife is so gracious and you know, she would simply tell me, you need Jesus. And I was sitting at the table and uh, you know, it's real talk, right? And uh, I had all these things going on inside of me and it was that, I don't know if I was having an exchange in conversation or a thought just popped into my head and I slammed my hand down on the table and I was angry. And I'll, I'll never forget the look of my kids and my wife looking at me. And I knew at that moment I had done something I should have never done. And I'd lost control for me. Not positioned that way. That wasn't my normal bent. And I knew, Lord, my wife is right. I need Jesus. 
And, and in the scripture and in this text, the Apostle Paul is reminding us to, to, to re-engage with the idea that, that along your journey and everywhere you go, you are wearing clothing. And, and, it, and it lends to something. And it represents, your life represents now King Jesus. Can people tell? What do they notice about your life? <clears throat> you see... He goes on to say, exchange stealing for sharing. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Do something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. We're to exchange stealing for sharing. I love this. This is a, this is a repent mode, a, a, an opportunity to do a complete 180. When, when right in that moment that, that if you have a thief amongst you and the gospel comes to his life, that, that he has a revelation, oh, I, I, it is not all about me in the moment that I must then go and work and apply myself and whatever I do have, one of the hardest things I must do is share. Yeah. <laughs> and thereby putting into practice the grace of God, the mercy of God, the building the muscle of Oh, these clothes that I'm wearing, here, have some. I'm going to exercise this muscle. I'm going to do the thing. Exchange corrupt speech for encouragement. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Nothing is, is more distasteful than a person with filthy talk. Uh, corrupt, the word sapros, it, it means rotten. It has to do with something that is worthless, youthless, that is diseased, rotten. It's offensive, it smells, it doesn't do anything in anybody any good. In fact, you don't want to go near it, let alone eat it. That kind of talk has no place in the life of a believer. And here's one of the challenges. I was thinking about this. Here's one of the challenges in the day of multimedia and constant yes. access to a screen that never says no. It'll feed you until you can't be fed no more. The idea that we would sit and listen and watch people's speech and conduct with no response. In my own home, it's a challenge. And we know because sometimes we joke about it and sometimes it's really a serious matter yes. point. But, but, you know, we'll all be sitting around. We're all older. And so, you know, it's all multi-screens going on and you hear the feed and it's this little background noise, right? It's people laughing, talking, screens playing. All of a sudden, every now and then, almost without fail, once a day at least, it's like you're going along and all of a sudden, beep, except the word isn't beeped out. And it's like, oh, and I give a look, and one of my kids, Dad, just popped up, just out of the blue, and it happens to me too. But, but, but right there, it's like we can't escape, so begs the question, should I be doing something different? And how, and how do I go about doing that? Let my speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. 
Psalms 141.3, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I, I love this text. Think about it. Jesus is the doorkeeper to your mouth. Oh, closing the door. I think I'm going to leave this closed for a while. Come on, think about it. Like what? Set a guard. This was the prayer in the Psalms, a request. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Whoa, if more of us said, Lord, help me in my speech when I talk. Let me be wise and discerning and just know what to say. And, you know, and this scripture even encourages us. And I think about going back to the media part for a minute. We see things in media that in, we're in a day and age. We see things in media that we would never have seen before. We're hearing aspects and we're, we're, we're peering into the lives of people. We're, we're in rooms that you would never, ever be in except for camera and video. And here it's being displayed for all to see with no regard and no impurity. And scripture even says, we shouldn't even be talking about what sinners do in secret. And just think about how many times we laugh at the things that we see. And we know, if this was aired out in public, I should not be seeing this. Or this is not good for my soul. This is not the thing I should be lending my time to. So, you know, in the ancient days, they would put salt on things to stop the corruption of meat and and food, preservation. And, uh, you know, it's odd is that, you know, the scripture is a salt to your lives at the beginning and through the process. It's that thing that's put there to, you know when salt is applied to something and, and, and you go to taste it or look at it and, and it's there to show you like, oh, in my life, I need, I need preserving, I need changing, I need cured for a long time maybe in that area and a short time in others. But, but here, so like, what do I do? And, and he, the Apostle Paul also begins to wrap it up and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Going back to the idea that you have been saved with purpose if you've encountered Christ, that it's not an accident, that there is a future and something for you to do to be refined in the image and creation like Jesus in the things that he does. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, you've been called out of that life. Be something different. Do something different. Think new. Act new. Feel new. Something's different. You've put on Christ. Those old things don't fit anymore. So here, now that you've heard about Jesus and the radical grace of God, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You know what to do. So now, go do it. To him that knows what to do and doesn't do it, to him, it's sin. It's James. And so, so here we have this encouragement from the Apostle Paul that we don't grieve the heart of God. And so in the last couple verses of the text, it's like he, he goes into the closet of clothes and he walks in and is like, since you're not doing it, I'm doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Takes a hamper, throws it in the pile. This stuff has got to go because then he says, so... Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And exchange 
essentially these natural vices for supernatural grace. Let him work in you. You know, we're singing about bitterness. Bitterness is a powerful, powerful toxin. And left unchecked, it will kill you spiritually and make you ill physically. Bitterness is a powerful, powerful thing. I remember seven years ago, uh, I had an opportunity to take my family on sabbatical. It had been a tough time for me for a while, but probably most of it self-inflicted. And I just remember, you know, I, I read this text and I started looking up some of the, some of the attributes of, of bitterness. And, and I came across this as a smoldering resentment. I thought, who? a brooding grudge, an unforgiving spirit. Oh, smoldering resentment. And that one resounded with me because I had felt, I mean, my wife could tell, man, one day I would feel really good and I forgive it and I worked this through and it's great. And then somebody or something would come along and say something and do something. And it was almost like they did this to my heart. And all of a sudden bitterness would come roaring back like a flip of a switch. And I knew something was going on. And so, but, 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 but I, I got to tell you, God is kind. He, he will deal with you how you need dealt with. For some of you this morning hearing some of this, you're going to go home and be like, oh, Lord Jesus, get my life. For some of you are going to walk out this door. I'm good. God's after you. He was after me. And when we got down to Mexico, we, we were like one block away from the beach in this area. And man, it was so beautiful, water warm. Nobody swam there. We had the whole beach to ourselves. We didn't know what red flags on the beach meant. We didn't know. We go traipsing down to the beach. We got our swimming. And like nobody's there. We're like, oh, good times to be had. We go swimming. And the next thing I know, day after day... I start noticing all these people lining up on this Malacan walkway watching us swim. And I'm in the water, and I'm, you know, swimming in the water, and I'm 10 feet from the shore, and all of a sudden I'm 50 feet and 100 feet, and then it moves me sideways, and I'm back, and I'm thinking, this is awesome. This is ocean life, baby. I'm, I'm arrived. And then somewhere in that journey we were told, hey, uh, guys, like, that means riptides. And, and the beach is closed, and um, there's, um, this is the... The time where all these uh, bottle, bottle, uh, blue, yes, something would come in, nesty ground for them, and they'll sting you and wrap their tentacles all around you. And we're like, oh, that's what that is on my kids. I mean, that's like all these welts and stuff all over them. We had no idea. We're, we're getting poisoned out of our life. I'm like, ow, ow, oh. And I'm swimming out there. And all of a sudden, these waves start coming in there, start pounding me to the ground. And I'm like, bam, into the sand, and I think I'm deep, and I'm like, oh, no, and I go to get up, and I'm only knee deep, and I remember all of a sudden on one of those occasions being rolled, the Holy Spirit spoke to me clear as day, who do you think you are having an offense with God? It was what I needed in the way that I needed it. It's like, whoa, a little tear followed by a big tear, followed by an uncontrolled tearing. My kids are out there swimming. I'm like, I better keep swimming. <laughs> I'm just wet, guys. <laughs> I'm just swimming. And I'm crying. And I'm like, Lord, I'm so sorry. I, I don't even know how to get this out. 
I'm infected. And right in that moment, it's like, I got this. But you acknowledging that is what you needed to do. So for the course of the next time we were there, it was like the Lord then healing and rebuilding and stitching up. And if you've ever had to be detoxed. Wow. Man, wow. And then you go, go along and, and, and see things different. And, and the Apostle Paul is giving you these, these, these fatherly concerns and antidotes because God loves you and he knows that harboring and engaging in and wearing these clothes and activities and functions will ultimately lead you away and kill you spiritually. And the Apostle Paul is saying, for your own good, there is a way, there is a set of clothes, there is a way to think and a way to do for your life in Christ and it is the best thing for you. Galatians again, 3, 26 and 27. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. He loves you. God's after you. This, this, this wasn't written to us. It was written to the church in Ephesus, but, but it's applicable to us that, that God's heart is on the move for us. And he is intent. He is intent on getting what he paid for, which is you. And Jesus paid the price. Amen?